Hey, uh, music gardeners. Welcome back, or welcome me back. Um, I did this interview in uh, 2019 on my uh, 2019 Build the Bridges tour. Uh, I was so excited. I was interviewing um, Jarvis Tyner, the chairman of the New York Communist Party. I didn't know, I didn't put the pieces together, how it fit in with the Everybody Music idea. And um, till actually, uh, you know, recently I've just been thinking about this interview and I've been reading up on communism, like the roots of communism. I've just been thinking a lot about all these different isms. You know, I, I, I've been thinking about capitalism for a long time and anarchism and... Uh, I really, at this point, I, I decided that it's best to think of them in terms of uh, ways of thinking, just uh, uh, like lenses of how we see the world, how we see possibility, the future, different, you know, how we can work together, and just like uh, how it colors our, our, our thinking, you know, these different isms. You know, and I, and I was just reflecting back. You know, in fact, I told Jarvis uh, that when we were forming Kamuziki back in 2013, somebody had said Kamuziki, like we shouldn't spell it with two M's. I mean, it was bad enough that it sounded like Kamuziki. It sounds kind of like communism. And the two M's, like we should just have one M. But I mean, it was like community you know i mean that was the idea of it it was like uh um music is the key to community so anyway um uh, i was thinking more recently that uh everybody music the idea of everybody music is is probably just as revolutionary as communism and the idea that like you're taking the hierarchy out of music and the idea that everybody is completely musical and um, life is music. All these things, you know, they, they go against the grain, you know, like they go against what capitalism teaches us, for one thing. And, and, and one of the basic foundational concepts of uh, communism is, is the phrase, from each according to their ability and to each according to their need. And in me and everybody music, I, I kind of like there's a, there's a feeling of that, you know, like um, when I lead a music circle, I play close attention to each person's voice. I want to like I kind of check in, like, do they want to be heard or do they want to hide? You know, how connected are they to the group rhythmically, harmonically, emotionally with they or the group? benefit from giving them more attention like if if we gave them more attention would that benefit them or the group and uh and also maybe there's are they sucking energy from the group you know these are like things that happen in society and um and and you know you when you think about like you want the society society to be healthy you want to look at how are the individual people doing and what do they need to function 
best in the group and to grow. So I'm thinking about the health of the group in the same way I'm thinking about the health of each individual. So it's like they're just intrinsically linked. But I, I see myself as the overseer of the vibe. So anyway, um, you know, and then, and then I realized, I found out recently that uh, Jarvis Tyner's brother is McCoy Tyner. And, um, and so there's an interesting connection because they're both, you know, involved in these revolutionary movements that, that shift everybody's perceptions about life. Because as you know, and I know, Life is music, and music is life. So um, I'll shut up now, and we'll listen to what Jarvis Tyner has to say. My name is Jarvis Tyner, T-Y-N-E-R, and I am the chair of the party, Communist Party of New York State, also a member of the National Committee of the party. Okay, cool. So the thing is that my organization... Build the Bridges as part of Kamizuki, we're always kind of trying to find these connections between what people are doing to build bridges. And so I have some questions here about the Communist Party and your role in basically building bridges. So like if we can kind of thinking about you know, I have a musical perspective, and if you have any mu musical ideas, they can go in there, too. Mm -hmm. But generally, like, I, I want to ask you, um, what do you want people to know about the Communist Party? Well, I want to kind of uh, let them understand that uh, most of the things they've heard about the Communist Party are not true uh, and are designed to bring the party down and confuse people about what we really stand for. We stand for uh, making a transition, a democratic transition, a transition of the majority of people of our nation from capitalism to socialism. Because we believe that socialism is far more equipped and organized and uh, its basic vision uh, to bring economic and social justice to the people. It's an, ounce, it's an outlook that is rests rest on working class, on the working class and the people who basically create the wealth. And our general view is that the people who create the wealth ought to control the wealth. And that's where we're heading. How, how do you get there is the big issue. And the reason why we just don't say that, but spend our day-to-day -day life working for democracy, for free elections, for better wages for working people, against racism, against misogynism, uh, to save the environment, all of those things, which people say, well, that's not so revolutionary. Well, it is, mm -hmm. because capitalism rests on destroying those things. I mean, right now we have a president who is out to destroy what I would call the democratic consensus in the country that was established with the 30s New Deal, with the 60s civil rights peace, the, 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 the general notion that it's not democratic with a large D, but with a small D, that this should be a society that's fair, that's equal, that is just to working people, and that the people count more than anything, people before profits, all those kind of things. Slogans now, which you, you know, all kinds of people pick up. But um, 
that's what's threatening us now. So you can't, if we can't beat this, there's no way we're going to make a transition to socialism. And beating this is the biggest thing. So we build bridges all the time. How, how do you build the bridges? How do you communicate with, that, let's say, like even a Trump supporter? What, what would you say to a Trump supporter to get them on board? Basically, I would tell them to act in your own interest. Even a rich Trump supporter must recognize that global warming is real. And this guy is against it, and he is dismantling any effort to combat it. So that puts you and your family in jeopardy. Secondly, health care for all. Oh, I'm rich. I can have health care. I want to. Yeah. But it's a guy five, that be five miles down the road is suffering from a serious disease and can't get health care. You think that makes your life healthier? You can build a fence around yourself. You're not going out. You're not going to breathe the air. I mean, come on. So health care for all is in your interest. The thing about workers' rights. All right, you want to lower the workers' wages if you're wealthy and moderately wealthy or own a small business. You think that's in your interest. But 70% of the consumers are working people. And if you impoverish them, we're heading for a recession every time. That's why we have cyclical crises all the time. So what we want you to understand, Mr. Supporter Trump, that um, to uplift the working class, to build unity in the country, to respect women's rights, gay, lesbian people, to make sure that they have a decent life, is in your national interest. If you're a patriot, and you say you are, join with me. Yeah, it sounds good. I mean, I, I dig it. So, um, but you know, a lot of people across the board are afraid of socialism, let alone like communism. Like they feel like the word, someone actually told me that I couldn't name, I shouldn't name my organization Communiki because it sounds too much like communism. Well, what, what do you say to people like that? Because they're all across the country, I feel. Well, I've had over 60 years of, uh, well, 58 years. And you of, can talk, include your history, too, yeah. in this. Yeah, of uh, working for the work and being a member of the Communist Party in 1961, I, I joined. But also, uh, as a public communist, I probably had 55 years of doing it. So, including everything from my neighbors knowing... And how do you deal with that? To holding jobs in industry, how do you deal with that? And my union people knowing it and so on. I think that the people have been bombarded with the false notion of the party and also with pro-capitalist interpretation of what socialism was like, which had its weaknesses, no question, made big mistakes in, in periods of history. But the basic thrust uh, as we see it, was that the working people take power was to provide a better life for working people. Marx says uh, to make happiness the lot of the working people. That was supposed to be the concept. But then the entire imperialist world surrounded Russia, surrounded all, and did everything they could to make this fail. They control the international economy. Right now they're doing the same thing with Cuba and Venezuela. They're destroying, trying to destroy it. And they say, see, it doesn't work. The, the truth is, see, we stopped it from working. That's what's really going on. Yeah. Uh, but, but don't go by those models. They're not our model. We don't. You, every country has its own model. There is no really basic model of what uh, socialism, other than some general principles of, uh, of uh, social ownership of the means of production and transportation, uh, uh, where the working people have full uh, control and, uh, I would say, um, 
power in the political process, the economic process, and so on, where education is free, healthcare is free, because the great wealth of society will be put in a social fund which will provide all these things. We have a country with a material basis for it. Most of those other countries never had it. China is now trying to develop it. Mm. And that's why they're scared of China, because China's going to pass us in terms of um, productivity. And that's the basis for it passing us in terms of standard of living. And I think they're scared of that. Yeah. So uh, capitalism really passed its usefulness. It is not completely not useful because the technology that has emerged out of capitalism is quite valuable for humanity. The problem is the average working people, person doesn't get the advantage of it. And they use it for one purpose, to make money, not to make life better for people. We make life better for people in a general sense by making a cleaner car and all that. But if they had to be forced to make clean cars, and they, and they still aren't clean, you know what I'm saying? But now they're moving electric because they recognize people gotten hip to this thing is killing us, you know. So all of those things um, come into play. And um, we have to build it. The party has always had the concept of building united fronts. Unity of action, but diversity in ideas. That's the concept. And through mm. that, and through that, that's what operated, made up how we operated uh, during the, the Second World War to fight against fascism and the building of a united front against it, knowing, recognizing the different digressions of uh, ideological understanding and, and the direction and policies. But we all are affected by the destruction of democracy worldwide and the murder and the slaughter and the racism and the hatred, the anti-Semitism, all these things that was destroying our... our and so there was a great united front. And Were well, you talking about at what period of time? during the fight against fascism. That's what I'm talking about, the Second World War. And we pursued that policy domestically. It helped to build mass organizations of the people, uh, both in the 30s and in the 40s and 50s. But after the 50s and the defeat of fascism, the world imperialism got afraid that they were going to lose their dominant grip on the world. You had this whole new thing of a system of socialist states. They panicked, and, and we had McCarthyism. Oh yeah, okay. So that was sort of like a backlash. Yeah, which so, is kind of what we're going through now. If you right, right. About. So would would you like? Could you envision what did the Communist Party do back in those days to you? You feel like it defeated fascism, at least it suppressed it, and now it's sort of like a cancer that that can reemerge. Yeah, the germ was still there, man. Right? Yeah, because the germ is inherent in the capitalist system. If you ask me, that's I right. I'm right. I'm with you on that. It's in the bowels of capitalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's deep down in there. <laughs> so, um, what do you think the Communist Party? What role did the Communist Party play back in that day? Well, you know that in the early '30s when fascism was rising, it was the communists in the United States and around the world who went to Spain to defend Republic Spain against uh, Italy and the uh, who was aligned with uh, the king and the uh, so the, the Republicans in Spain won the election they're not like the Republicans we have today but they won the election and, and moved in a democratic progressive direction and the uh, monarchy and the right wing fa Spanish fascists with, aligned with Italian fascism, moved to destroy uh, this great achievement. 
So the United States, rather than support this, basically said it was neutral. Uh, but the socialist countries, Soviet Union and, and other socialist movements around the world said we will, we will come to their defense. So you had the Abraham Lincoln Brigade that from the United States, uh, several thousand, I think it was, Americans, mainly workers, young workers who went to fight in Spain. They, we lost that battle and many of them uh, perished. Although there's a few still alive and the Abraham Lincoln Brigade still exists, thank goodness for that, and does good work. Um, like now they're helping on Venezuela, helping on Cuba and stuff like that. They're still with, a, with the fight. But, so we were premature, they, as they say, premature uh, anti-capitalists. And then when the Soviet Union uh, was invaded and, and the, the fascists uh, were making their great advance through Europe and creating a genocide and murder all, all the way through, um, the whole world, the whole world communist movement was united to defeat uh, fascism. And uh, the Hitler-Stalin pact uh, uh, it was used as a diversion. While Germany had built up a powerful military machine, the Russians didn't have it. They needed time to build it. And the proof of the pudding is once they got time to build it, they kicked some fascist ass. You know what I'm saying? Like history has never seen. In fact, they did it so well that the United States was just hedging whether we should get in a war because U.S. capital hoped that the fascists would first destroy socialism, then we'll make a deal with them, and we'll have a nice world with, you know, sort of bourgeois capitalists and fascist capitalists working together. Yeah. This is an illusion. Then they bombed Pearl Harbor and said, hey, guys, we want you too. We're running this thing. And, and then they, they had to enter the war. But Roosevelt said that the turning point of the battle against fascism was Stalingrad, hmm. which was held held the fascists off for I don't know how many weeks, months, and uh, ultimately defeated them. And, they, and, and and the Germans put everything in there they could to defeat them, and they failed. Then everybody said, ah, we can win this battle. So wow. the communists were all part of that, of that whole process. And then American communists, even though some of them were uh, put in obscure places and weren't allowed to participate, a whole bunch of them were in the, in the U.S. military fighting against fascism that way. And then down here, you know, you ever see that scene of that big fascist rally at uh, Madison Square Garden uh, when Hitler was rising? <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't. I need to look, see look, that. Google it. Yeah. It was, you know, the place was packed. Really? Yeah. Madison Square Garden. In the 30s. In the, late, in the early, in the mid-30s, I guess it was. Who was speaking there? Oh, whoever, Father Gochlin and all them, them crazed fascists was speaking. Huh. And they wanted to bring it here. You know, we have a whole German community on the east side of Manhattan, for Yorkville, that had a huge uh, organized base among American Germans in support of fascism. So, uh, you know, from your perspective, because uh, to me it's what's happening now is very scary. So you have this perspective, a historical perspective that um, would affect how you feel about today. So how does that play into it? Like, how does this compare to what it was like back in those days? Well, very much so, because if you, if you think about what Trump is really doing, he is destroying that democratic consensus. He's anti-labor. Yeah. 
We won the 30s, the right to labor to organize. He's doing everything to destroy it. The NLRB is now taken over and run by his people, and they're destroying the Labor Department and the federal government. Is, is, uh, Mitch, Mitch McConnell's wife, Cho, 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 I think her name is, is running it, and they're destroying uh, it, uh, the uh, power of labor to organize and to exist. He's trying to take that apart. You know what he did about uh, the environment and pulling out of the Paris Accords, but not only that, now they've made all kinds of rules and opened up the, the, uh, the national parks and stuff for exploration and, and, and our waterways. Oh, it's just, it's just a, a terrible, terrible attempt to reverse history, civil rights. Uh, I don't know where to start. Yeah, yeah. Except yeah. to say they don't enforce the laws that were fought for and won. So American capitalism didn't embrace democracy. It had to be fought for, including the Civil War. We, they lived with slavery. The founding fathers were, were, were slave owners, some of them big slave owners. Yeah. And they didn't want to touch slavery. They wanted to get rid of British so that the American capitalism could grow. Mm. And there's a lot of feeling that the American Revolution was not completed until after the overthrow of slavery. I, Some of you described the Civil War as the Second American Revolution. I, I think that's or part right. two. Part two. Yeah. And uh. they didn't embrace it. They didn't embrace it, including Lincoln hedged on the issue of yeah. race and all that. Yeah. It had to be imposed on them by the power of the people. Right, exactly. And, 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 and so, so now capitalism reached a point, a critical point, because there's actually a crisis on continuing the same old BS and racism and division and hatred and just all the money should go up top and they'll take care of us. Nobody believes that anymore. They don't believe it. And we don't believe it. So we went with trickle down and who wants to be trickled down on? You know, that's what someone is looking We went from trickle down to uh, as somebody said, well, the reason we had a depression because we didn't have rich people. Really? <laughs> All these stupid things. Yeah. That are doom and bring us to doom and 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 create an existential crisis for our nation. It's capitalism. Yeah, it's capitalism. So so where 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 is the hope? Where where do you see the hope for all this? Because this crisis. Well, to be simple, uh, we had a great example of that in the midterm elections. Here's an interesting thing: 2000, Trump, uh, Bush. Stole the election. He actually yeah. lost the popular vote and stole it in Florida. Right. See, they were already a minority, a party. They were not strong, as strong as the Democrats as an electoral party or as a legislative party. But they gerrymandered. They had a huge, well-financed effort to take power. Even right. though they were a minority party, so with the Supreme, they had a lot of power in the Supreme Court, and they had the Supreme Court, which they now have a majority. Yeah. So we saw that they didn't have the power, and and twenty, and then the the, the country, you know, the Clinton was wishy-washy, but next to them, he looked like the savior to a lot of people, and to elect him was right. That people had no choice to get away from that. Yeah. But then after that, the Bushes came back in and and started their mess, and even though they disguised their true reactionary basis, and in fact, on some social questions, they were not as anywhere near as reactionary. This guy. Trump, who now attacks them bitter, viciously, and everything, but he did not win a majority of the vote. Trump, when he came in twenty six, it was a manipulation of the electoral process. If seventy thousand votes would have been shifted in Pennsylvania, 
uh, Wisconsin and Michigan had been shifted the other way, he would not be president. But he's acting like the whole nation rose up and elected him. He's the greatest guy in the world. I do everything right. Everything I do is wonderful. It's the first time this has ever Total lies. Based on a total lie. A, a, a multiple a multiple mountain of lies that he just keeps living, that he keeps falsifying. So, basically there is a majority out. That's what I'm trying to say. And despite all the obstacles, 2018 it came out and they got walloped in the Congress and um, it, they, and they did it on healthcare issues and they did it on unity issues and then you had the women coming out by yeah. the millions marching against them. That's the people. You had the youth after the shootings and all of the stuff. They, they lit a fire in this country and the right wing nuts took power, took 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 a, it as a green light to do anything they want to do. And that's why we're seeing all this killing and shooting. And they did that. They opened the door to that and these young people organized and they had a, a million people marching. We never had, we never had that. Yeah, I would say the one, the one, one uh, element that was didn't quite get on the bandwagon was labor because one third of organized workers who voted actually voted for Trump. So they have some division in their ranks, but yeah. they, they, they're getting it over because now guys said the tax cut didn't. What did that do for me? See what happened to truckers? 29,000 truckers have been laid off because the tax cut has slowed the economy down so much. And this guy. Um, uh, Trump thinks he can just BS his way through everything, and you can for well, a while. Evidently, so far he's yeah, been able you can, to. You can can for a while, yeah. but after a while, you know what they say? The fit's going to hit the sand. Yeah. <laughs> now here here's a, a fear that I have, and it's like actually coming up now through this. I'm thinking because, like, if if Trump doesn't win, we could people could come complacent because that's kind of what it was before. That's one of the silver lines of this whole thing is I see so much activity. Do you, do you, what, what do you see, like how can we make sure that we keep this thing going regardless of who's, who's uh, up there on the top? Well, some people I think will get demoralized and pull back a bit, but I think that the thrust of history is that the movement goes forward, makes gains, it gets pushed back, it pushes. Dr. King says the arc of humanity, you know, bends towards social justice. The arc of humanity is still going to be out there. It's coming. Yeah. It's coming. And it, it, it is already, it's already put him in a weaker position, and I believe we're going to defeat him. I believe we're going to defeat him. He's going to do everything and stuff. But let's say we don't. Well, let's say we do, yeah. and so that we have to... What are the other challenges? Because he's like an obvious challenge, mm. you know, and everybody... But, but, but without him, I think in, in, in a way it's kind of more complicated. We have to like look it at... It is, it is, because I think... I think it, uh, but I think capitalism's ability to solve basic human problems, decent education for all, civil rights gay rights, women, the environment, housing crisis. You take New York City, beautiful, beautiful edifices to capitalism growing up all over, but the working class can't. They're getting thrown out of their houses. They're getting moved out of the city. And in the suburbs, it's full of poor people now. All of these things, these are fundamental crises, and they're existential in a lot of ways because they impact on the economy. Now, for example... You, you cross a bridge and it, the technology, you don't need a person to collect the tolls anymore. 
I don't know how many people lost their jobs with that. Not to mention what's happened with manufacturing and export of capital. What are you going to do with these folks? What are you going to do with people? They have to live and they got to they gotta fight. Yeah. They got to fight. And that's our job to find the best way to get them to. Right. So, like, kind of providing yeah. a support system like for people to. Puerto Rico. Yeah. They've been banged around. This guy goes out and throws paper towels at people. And people are dying. They lied about that. But it reached a qualitative point where there was a huge leap and the masses just poured out. And and this guy is gone, the governor. They got a long fight ahead of them, but this yeah. guy is gone. And the people did it. I don't yeah. think they're going to go home and say, well, Jose, everything is fine. Yeah, right. Maria, we have no more problems. So they know. Yeah, yeah. They know. Right. Because like, we are in, it's hard to, it's hard to not notice it. <laughs> so, um, and the more of us, like, see, part of, part of what I, uh, the mission of my organization is to wake up people that are uh, asleep and the ones that can afford to be asleep. Yeah. The people with the privilege to right. kind of sleep through it all. And, um, and I, don't, I don't feel like they're really, there's a part of them that actually knows that they have to wake up. Right. So I, 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 and that's what music is for. But um, I, I think that some of those people are still like, there's some confusion about socialism and communism. It's sort of like I think some people see communism as a kind of just like a stronger, a bigger version of social socialism is kind of like communism light or something. Can you can you shed some light on like what some of those differences are? Well, communism is a higher stage of socialism. That was was in the Communist Manifesto, um, meaning on at this present stage, socialism is from each according to their ability and, and their work and so on. And to each, no, from each according to their ability, to each according to their work. But communism reaches a point of, of absolute abundance that is actually to each according to their need. And people, and you know, people, every time you see a movie about something like in the future, it's always that the people have to be coerced to accept uh, a government that helps them. Or it's, it's all confused the way they do it. But the point yeah. is, if a government would have made sure that my mother, when she got Alzheimer's, would have gotten good care, she had no health care. If they would have made sure, I ain't going to complain about that. I'm not going to complain if my brother would have gotten his, uh, a scholarship to go to music school. He, he did, actually, but all the way through the graduate school and so on. I, I'm not going to complain about that. The government has only really fundamentally one purpose, to help the people. I don't think it has a, the wealthy people don't need the help, but they're the ones, they're the ones who get the benefit from the society. So I think um, in that sense, the, the socialist bargain with the people is that people will come before profits and wealth and uh, abundance is possible to eliminate poverty, to eliminate bad housing, health care, to guarantee health care for all, and so on. And there, after that, which is way in the future, but after that, at some point, Marxist concept was that it would evolve into a full communist society. So the Communist Party itself calls itself communist 
because it is supportive of this new communist society. But in our lifetime, I think the fight we will face most uh, vigorously and most um, uh, in an overwhelming sense is the fight to realize a socialist change. Okay, so so like you can work with like the Bernie Sanders and all. Oh, yeah, yeah, and so oh, so that been. this vision of the future of the, of the of the far future where there is like you know, it's basically you know full equality, and uh, where the balance is, because uh, I mean that's that encapsulates a whole lot just like uh, equality. So could you describe that vision so that that's kind of like. Uh, the light that we're aiming for, right? Yeah. And how, how do you, what, what does that look like? Well, <laughs> I just read a piece about that uh, guy, a Canadian labor guy wrote a, wrote a piece of what, how socialism will work. And he was mainly talking about how it would be administered. And he ain't talking about communism. I don't even know if he's for that, but socialism. Um, the, the communist concept, keep in mind that this land, for most of its existence, people lived in a communal state. Mm. That is, there was no private property. People shared what they had. Uh, the native people here lived, I guess, thousands of years, living cooperatively and sharing, and in a, in a, in a what they call primitive communist state. The land, that's why this love of the land, they always show us so they love the land, the mountains, yeah. the water, we love it. Right. Because they live close to it. That was yeah. their legacy, that was their culture, that was their religious, that was their belief. Um, and it was with the introduction of capitalism that you had slavery, that the Indians who controlled the land that was on their land had to be removed to allow for the development of uh, the growth of capitalism. Yeah. And um, ultimately, um, they imported Africans to do the hard labor to sow, to to uh, cultivate the land and produce this wonderful product called cotton. <laughs> king Cotton was king all over the world, and the richest people in this country then were the owners of the land and the production and textile and so forth associated with cotton. But after a while, uh, it reached a crisis. First of all, we were treating human beings like animals. It was a moral crisis. Second of all, it was even the economic crisis because these guys were so powerful, they were slowing down the growth of industrial, finance, and commercial capitalism. Civil war. And Lincoln was on the right side, but you know he hedged and so on. Um, and the ideology of racism was there was to enforce the dominance of the... Uh, capitalist class and racism and, and, and slavery and so on. So, um, ultimately, in the 1920s and 30s, when, when, when this Russian revolution took place and the growth of, of socialist and communist movements developed, there was a tremendous pressure on the United States after the Depression you know, what during depression, which created this huge left progressive movement, which ultimately created the social safety net that we're still fighting to hold on to. Social security, uh, relief, welfare for people who get thrown out. In the old days, you got thrown out, you went to the church. The church says, uh, here, you can have this bread, but you gotta come to the church. And 
And then the church just finally said, we can't do this. It's too big for us. The whole movement then, with the organization of labor and so forth, shifted the paradigm, and we ended up with the New Deal. And now capitalism is ready to destroy that. And that's what we're experiencing now. But the main thing, I'm, the main point I'm trying to make is that history is on our side on all this stuff. And we will ultimately reach a point where people will understand. They actually kind of do now. If you take away the, the names that they've been told are bad names, if you talk about what would it actually do, like now, Healthcare for all is a commonly supported idea. Well, in the back in the old days, I ran for vice president of the United States, not in the old days even, 72 and 76, and we raised health care for all, free health care. Yeah. Say when a baby is born, they get a card. And the card says, you're with the National Health Service. And they hold that for the rest of their life. They never have to pay a medical bill the rest of their life. They said, we should be able to do that. They do it in England. They can do it here. They can do it there. Why can't this powerful country do it? The reporters went bananas. What? You're talking about who's going to pay for that? Why should we do that? Everybody should work hard to get, well, you know, this kind of... Um, Did they go more bananas then than they do now? Yeah. Yeah. So because it was more radical been, then than... than yeah, it is. Yeah. So we made... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but you, and you also had a shift in public opinion, and uh, even though, even some of these backward politicians now agree that some form of concessions have to be made around health care, even though the Republicans and their minority are blocking this thing wherever they can. Yeah, they will fall. I tell you, we're going to have health care in this country. Got it. You know. Yeah. So, um, these are these are socialist kind of programs. Social Security is essentially that. Yeah. When you call the fire department, you don't have to take out yeah. your credit card, do you? <laughs> yeah. Public education, environmental protection, public Ro park roads. roads. Yeah, yeah. See, you, you can't run that stuff on the basis of, well, I've got to make a profit out of this. Yeah, right. So you get up from work every day, and you got to ride a private road, you know, and so on. It's some places it's like that, but what I'm trying to say, it's not workable. Yeah. And so that e evolution of thought and need, and based on human need, um, brings people to a greater understanding. And our job is to help that process as we participate in the day-to-day -day fight people are going through. Yeah. Cool. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I could go on and on. Like, what, what's our time like here? My time is a little tight right now. So yeah. Sorry. So should we wrap it up? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'd do some things before our meeting at one. Okay, because let, let me just ask you one more thing. Okay. Yeah. So, what what keeps you going? Like, what 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 do you feel like is is exciting about the Communist Party and your involvement with it right now? Like, if you could just. Well, I've seen the party evolve over over fifty years, from and recover from the McCarthy period. And even though there was a lot of red baiting around the civil rights and peace movement and so forth, it found a way to get involved in it. And I learned so much about tactics and how to do it. You know, you learn something about if you can't sort of organizationally approach people, we have a newspaper which speaks to people's needs. And through that, people can gain a better, higher insight by reading our newspaper. And uh, we were told at the convention that our online newspaper now has 
peaked to uh, a, a million readers over the year. A million readers. Of, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Daily Worker didn't do that. Huh. Uh, we also need, a, I think, a, a print paper to hand out. Like this weekend we're going up to the Harlem uh, Festival up there and there are going to be about 50,000 people walking by. And a paper would be nice to have. We don't have a print paper we have with them, but we'll, we'll we'll figure that out. So, um, to me, I think uh, this this shift is very important. Ocasio Cortez says she's a democratic socialist. Bernie says democratic socialist. Bernie got 16 million votes. Democratic socialist. That never. Yeah. Something's going on. Yeah. 60 percent of people call themselves liberal Democrats. So. I'm more pro-socialist than pro-capitalist. Uh, uh, among young people, 30 and under, the majority are more favorable to, to socialism than capitalism. It's the old heads like, like me, you know, who think that capitalism yeah. is uh, the greatest thing ever happened, and my God, we can't lose it. My, what are we going to do? But the Social Security that keeps us alive socialist measure. Yeah. So I think we have to, you know, just keep that battle going. I feel hopeful about that. I yeah. People, I think the people, I have a lot of faith in people. I was talking to, to Angela Davis. She's spoken here several times in the last two or three years. And when she was under, indict, under indictment and was on the run, because she thought they were going to really crucify her if they caught her and yeah. blame her. Yeah, and they wanted to. So. And they wanted to. And they made it clear. Yeah. The President of the United States said that she was a terrorist and we we're going to catch her and pro prosecute her to the fullest extent of the law. That's death penalty. And the great movement around her was developing. Yeah. And she had the good sense to contact people and said, I think I need to come in. Because we got to fight this thing. This is no good. She was going to go to Cuba, I'm telling you. Yeah. She says, this is no good. I got to I gotta get out there. Yeah. They knew she was doing this. They had found her and tapped her or whatever. They knew how to get in touch before she was. She was on her way in to, to go with her attorney and turn herself in. And she was at the Howard Johnson's on 8th Avenue. And they went and got her. They knew she was there because they, what they wanted her to do was to do something crazy like rob a bank or something. Yeah. And then they would murder her. Hey, we got this commie and so forth. But the thing that she concluded was, this like we concluded during the McCarthy period, if we stay and fight, the American people can be one to support us and we will survive in that way. We don't even necessarily have to get a majority of it, but we can get a base and they will support us. And we're going to fight for that. And the confidence in the American people, I think, is a winning strategy. And a lot of the left doesn't have that. They really see only what they think they can do, which is very frustrating because most groups are small, relatively. Anyway, so I think confidence in the American people and working people, that they can be one if you fight for their interests and you get involved and become a part of their life fabric, their life, they'll support you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, um, I was at the Black Lives Matter rally up there. Was, was there a party representation up there? Here in New York? Recently? Yeah, but Harlem. We went from Harlem down to 59th Street. There were some people marching there, yeah. There was no banner and all that, but I think there, there were some yeah. people from the Uptown Club. Because and... I think, you know, like, I, I, I'm looking for ways to 
for people to kind of face their fears around what they see. Right. Uh, and so, like, Angela Davis was has always been a registered communist, right? Is that right? She's not a member now. She's not a member 91 now. 91, she left. Okay. But she's a friend, a friend and supporter. She says, my ideas have not changed. We had a little internal struggle back in 91, and the Soviet Union collapsed, and she was on the other side. So she withdrew. But she knows. I mean, she she's spoken here. She's supporting uh, basically our political line and policies pretty much, and uh, she's a friend. You know? Yeah. Uh, and a comrade, really. So consider a comrade. Right. So, yeah. Well, fantastic. I really appreciate you giving this time and, like, enlightenment. Um, I think I, I really look forward to people uh, hearing this. And, yeah, and, and, good. Uh, Thanks, Jonathan, for doing it. I appreciate it. All right. It. You take care. You too.